0: The Work of the Holy Spirit in the Life of the Believer. That's coming up on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Stay with us.
1: Zion, built with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick, and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Let this world know me by your love
0: The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual believer is often misunderstood, undervalued, and consequently avoided. But without Him, the Christian is powerless to live and grow in life and fruitfulness. Graciously, our Lord has provided several scriptures about the Spirit's work. And one of those scriptures may surprise you to learn is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Would you join us there today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray? Tucked in near the end of a list of commandments found in our scripture is the command to not quench or put out the fire of the Spirit. Connected with this command are other commands that are related to our sanctification, all of which Pastor Ed will explain.
2: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last few verses, starting in verse 19. Paul the Apostle writes, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form or better appearance of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. A holy handshake is nice. (laughs) I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the brethren The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. Light the fire. A family from our church uh, moved to the deep south a while back and they sent me a note this week and I emailed back and asked them how they liked living in the south. Well, they answered that question by this little story. A Mississippian came home from work and found his house on fire. He's a fireman. He rushed next door, telephoned the fire department, and shouted, hurry over here, my house is on fire. Okay, said the fireman, how do we get there? He said, shucks, don't you still have them big red trucks? (laughs) If you're from the South, I apologize. I didn't write it, just (laughs) some living in the South. There are a lot of metaphors in the Bible to describe the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit. For example, in Matthew 3.16, the Holy Spirit is compared to a dove that flies. In John 7.38, the Holy Spirit is compared to water that flows. In John 3.8, the Holy Spirit is compared to wind that blows. And in Matthew 3.11, the Holy Spirit is compared to a fire that burns. So I was reading about fire this week. It may not look like it, but it's in the first verse, do not quench the Spirit. It literally has put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. So I read an article this week about a 200-year-old fire. It seems that, according to the author, 200 years ago, a fire was started uh, with the use of flint and steel by a man named Tom Dalton in his Blue Ridge Mountain cabin that fire has been kept burning to this day. It became a family tradition to keep great-great-great grandpa's fire going that he started with the flint and steel. Well, the fire has been moved to other cabins as the family grew. Uh, newer ones and generation after generation has considered it a family honor to have the fire in their fireplace from Dalton's original fire. Now. The Dalton's claim it is the oldest fire in the United States. And they're trying to get in the Guinness Book of Records for the oldest fire in the world. Whether or not that's true, it's still an interesting picture of what we're looking at here this morning. In Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit started a fire in believers 2,000 years ago that continues to this day in most of us in this room that the Holy Spirit is like a fire in our lives. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit represents this concept in our lives because we know the changes that have happened in our lives. If you haven't allowed him in, then you won't understand that part of what we're looking at this morning. We find ourselves at the close of a book, a letter today, a letter written by the Apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago to a young church that he had started in northern Greece in this city called Thessalonica. Uh, Here in chapter 5, Paul continues to give us our responsibility as believers, as children of the light, as children of the day. Last time, Paul wrote about our duties to leaders in the church and to each other in the body of Christ. Now here in this last few verses, he closes with exhortations, encouragements to his readers. It's kind of the kindergarten stuff, the fundamental stuff that we were looking at last time. And he just runs through a big long list that's simple to understand, but not real easy to do. This is a very popular section of scripture for pastors and teachers to teach on. There are thousands, probably tens of thousands of sermons that have been done on this particular passage of scripture. Uh, There's a teacher, a lady teacher, who wrote uh, about this a lot. Her name was Henrietta Mir. Some of you would recognize her name. She was the children's director for a church in Hollywood, and it was through her efforts that Mountain Home Village, uh, Forest Falls Christian Conference Center uh, was started. Some of your uh, friends here in the church work up there, and uh, it's a beautiful spot, great place to have a conference. But she wrote about this in her book, uh, What the Bible is All About. She sums up this section beautifully exhorting us to be waiting patiently for Jesus' return. And then she writes, And while you wait, Paul gives you a grand eight-note octave upon which to play great melodies of hope. Strike every note on this wonderful octave, and if you do, your life will be rich. For example, verse 16, Be joyful always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Verse 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Verse 21a, test everything. 21b, hold on to the good. And 22, avoid every kind of evil. So, We're looking at a section of scripture that has a lot of richness in the tapestry of the words. And we'll take a look at it in three sections, 19 through 22, fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 23 and 24, a very important sandwiched in section, God will do it. And then 25 through 28, grace, it's all about grace. So let's jump in and see what God might say to you. Uh, about this section he's been speaking to me all week. Do not, verse 19, quench the Spirit. Do not stifle, another translation says. Stop stifling and suppressing the Spirit, another says. Philip says never dampen the fire of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Spirit is the Holy Spirit and as a member of the triune Godhead, he is infinitely greater, smarter than any of us. However, God does not force himself on us. He only moves as we yield to him. Our insensitive insensitivity, excuse me, to the Holy Spirit limits his actions in our lives. We must learn to yield and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's what Stephen said. In Acts chapter 7, speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you always limit, you always stifle the very same idea. You never yield to the spirit of God. So it is possible to hold God off, strange as that sounds, because of his respect for the free will that he gave to you and I being made in his image. Do not quench the Greek word, Bentium means to extinguish literally a fire or something that is on fire. It's a metaphor, it's a picture, meaning to suppress divine influence in your life or in mine. Two things are related to that. We need to be careful to not throw a wet blanket on new believers who are growing in excitement in God, their first encounter. You know, when you're talking to a new believer and and they're all excited, giddy, encourage them about God. It is not the time to say, oh, you'll get over that. (laughs) I used to be that way. Well, that line ought to go out and come right back and hit us between the eyes. Well, what happened that I'm not that way? Well, don't put out the flames. Fan the flames is what Paul is saying.
0: You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray, who's covering 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We continue now with part 2 of today's message and more on what hinders the work of the Holy
2: Spirit. Secondly, the spirit work in our lives can be hindered by unforgiveness. This is the one I see most often in other people's lives and can be in my own life. Because unforgiveness leads to bitterness and hatred and jealousy and animosity. It will quench the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in us is love. Love, that is his primary purpose. God is love. John wrote, the Holy Spirit is seeking to produce that in you and in me. Don't quench the spirit, open up to his love, allow it to flow through you. Now, Paul's next verses are probably some of the specific areas where the Thessalonians were holding back, quenching the fire of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. 21, test everything. 22, abstain from all the appearance of evil. The church was doing very good. But Paul is writing to them, strengthening them, encouraging them to move on. Verse 20 says, do not despise, scoff at prophecies. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Barclay said, don't make light of manifestations of the gift of prophecy. Don't despise, the Greek word means to despise someone or something because you think of it as worthless or having no value. I think that's a great danger in the church today all over the world. The word prophecy, the Greek word, can be either something spoken from God or something written down, a word of scripture. So Paul warns believers that God's messages are to not be treated lightly. You could argue that when you and I listen to the word of God being taught or preached or read, it should be received with seriousness and careful consideration. So you might ask, why would anyone despise a word that came from God? Well, because it often comes in a messenger package that we didn't anticipate. You know, as you look around as I do every Sunday, I notice that God will take anybody in the kingdom of God. And sometimes when people come to me or, or, or bring, hey, I have this scripture, I think this is for you from God, and the mailman's uniform sometimes puts you off, and, and you miss that this might be God's choice to speak to me today. Like I said, it could be a scripture that's exactly what you need or I need at that particular time in our lives. It might be something fresh from the Lord. So... It's easy to discredit the message because of the messenger, and it takes effort sometimes on our part to look past the messenger. Sometimes it's just simply a matter of the age of the messenger or how long they've been a believer. But God loves to encourage new believers with something from him, and it's really for them and you. So be open to that. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't despise something from God. You've got to stop. Listen carefully, it might be God speaking to us. Test all things, he says in the next verse, hold fast to what is good. Test everything. The Greek word domkizeo uh, is a term used in metallurgy. If you were a jeweler, you would test the gold or silver. Still to this day, the best test is by heat. You heat it up in a crucible, and then that which is alloyed will come to the surface and can be swept away. The pure metal is underneath. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, he just wrote to not despise prophesying, but now he's giving a warning to not be gullible about it either. Both extremes are always wrong. It is wrong to be so critical and cynical that we despise something that is from God for us, but it's just as wrong to take everything that's spoken in the name of the Lord to be from him. Paul's point is that not all claims to be from God are in fact from him. So many false prophets were around in the first century and I don't think there's more of them today. We just give them a bigger platform. They have their own website or they have their own radio program or their own television program. Paul says, do not quench the spirit, and, but be careful to test what people claim is true. Get this. All spiritual people are responsible to form judgments on spiritual things. It's part of our responsibility as believers. That's what Paul is saying. Test, judge, judge things. Paul is calling for a careful examination and discernment. Example, measure everything against the final arbiter, Scripture itself. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, when one prophesies, let others judge. Listen carefully and pray that God would give you discernment. Test, examine everything. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. Now, We have examples of this throughout Scripture, but probably one of the clearest ones is in Acts chapter 17. And it fits with the Thessalonians, because as Paul was coming down the Greek peninsula, he stopped at Thessalonica, and then he, after three weeks, was run out of town, and the next stop was Berea. And when he got to Berea and he spoke, this happened. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they receive the message with great eagerness and examine the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's a beautiful example of what Paul is saying here. Simply compare what was said with what is written in the Bible. By the way, you should be doing that right now. You should be carefully listening to the things I say and then go and look at scripture and see if what I'm saying is true. Search the scriptures yourself. And finally, accepting those things that are in harmony with what the apostles said. Acts 2.42 is the formula for the early church. It's still true today. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, four things that the early church did. Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what we're doing. We're looking carefully at what the apostles wrote. We are doing this very thing. That is our responsibility to go through scripture. And the primary emphasis is hold fast to what is good. The emphasis is on embracing the good because many people today are on a witch hunt. And you find any prominent Christian teacher in the world, and you can find a site on the internet that says that they're a heretic because of something they said. They take something out of context. Well, Paul is saying just the opposite test everything, but hold on to that which is good. Make sure that you're not. Throwing away the baby with the bathwater, kind of a thing. We'll come back to that in a moment, verse 22, Abstain from every form or literally appearance of evil. The old King James actually had it a little better than the new King James I'm quoting from. Abstain means show self-restraint. Keep oneself from doing something that would be the appearance of evil. Now, It's important to note that we're not only to abstain from evil itself, but from what other people might think we're doing is evil because they don't understand all the facts. Point. Not long ago, a young couple from our church came. They were visiting the church, and they came and asked me about getting married here. And when you do that, we ask you to fill out a form, the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be. And so at our first meeting, I'm sitting down, and I'm going through the forms with them, and I notice... Lo and behold, their address is the same on both forms. And of course, I had to ask, and so I said, so let me understand what's going on here. It says that you're living together, is that true? Well, well yes, she said, but, but we're not sleeping together. And I said, your neighbors think you are. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, they see two young people, unmarried, living together in a house, and, and I believe you if you say you're not sleeping together but you're a witness, I'm a witness, we're all witnesses. People figure out pretty quickly whether we at least give lip service to Jesus and the Bible. Is our life reflecting it in a way that won't be misinterpreted? Now you can't make everything absolutely perfect, but as much as you are able, for example, if I told you that uh, I go home every day and I stop in a bar, and I just drink Coke, and you'll say, why? I said, well, Diet Coke tastes so much better draft out of the container. Your baloney meter would go off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been given a baloney meter. It is a wonderful thing that God installs very early in our life. Now, it can become jaded and cynical, but trust the Holy Spirit in you. He can revitalize your baloney meter. And, And so that's really what Paul is talking about here, the appearance of evil. Our Christian witness is important. Isn't this fun? Next section, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Read that a couple of times. Think about that. You have to know what the word sanctify means. To be set aside for him. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is an encouraging verse. To be sanctified. To be set aside for God's use. God's sanctification is quiet, gradual, gradual. And it comes from within, outward, why? Because when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when you say, God, please forgive my sins, take my life, then a miracle happens. The Holy Spirit, boom, comes and lives in your heart. That's what the new covenant is. The Old Testament predicted it in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. God said, I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll put in a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will write my law of love on your heart, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. There's an awful lot of God doing stuff in that, isn't there? That's why when Jesus took the cup and said, this is my blood of a new covenant, we should say, yes, that's my hope. It's my only hope that Jesus did it for me. That's what this says. The God of peace himself, Will sanctify you, that God will sanctify you. No human power can sanctify. Listen, I wish I could be shouted from churches all over the world. You cannot sanctify yourself. It is not possible. Only God can sanctify a person.
0: Pastor Ed Ray is our Bible teacher here on Grow in Grace. And we're studying 1st and 2nd Thessalonians right now on the weekends. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And for those of you that sense God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposite to our natural leanings, so we'll need some help. Receive a copy of Jesus Style today, and again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to our studies in the New Testament. In the meantime, let's keep looking to Jesus as we grow in grace.
1: built with hands, and in this place, God, to dwell with man. Sick, be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love.